Morning, everyone. My uh, man, everyone is so awake today. That's amazing. Um, so I'm Pastor Ben. I'm the kids pastor here at First, and uh, it's my privilege to bring you God's word uh, this morning. So today we're talking about Abba Father. We've been talking about the names of God for the past few weeks, and I love this series because it helps us understand who God is. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, "The most important thing about you is what you think of God," and. I don't know if that's like the most important thing, but it's definitely really important. Uh, so for example, like if you, um, if you believe that God is your provider, if you believe that God is going to give you everything that you need, then when that belief is tested, when something happens in life that makes you wonder if God is going to be there for you, then, then your faith carries you through. God gives you a peace that he's going to be there, that he's going to help you. And, and that, that carried you through. But if you're not sure if God will be there, if he'll provide, if he'll give you what you're, you need, then anxiety will characterize your life. You know? And so this, this is how the, our view of God can change the way that we feel and live our lives. Um, it's why when, so in kids' ministry, one thing that we really want to do with the kids is give them a big view of who God is. We want them to see God in his majesty and his wonder and his love. We want them to know that God is amazing. Okay, and if we can set them up with that view of God when they're young, we really believe that will carry through and help them as they grow older. Um, so view of God is really important. Uh, so when we talk about God as father, let's say I have a bunch of kids, okay, in front of me, and we're gonna talk about, guys, God is your Dad, right, what, what's the first thing that's gonna come to their mind? Their own dad, that's, the, that's, the, that's, their, that's their point of reference. And so however their dad treats them and acts toward them, that's how they're going to think about God. The thing is, that's not just for kids, okay? That's something that's true about all of us. For a lot of us, how our dads treated us or, or how they uh, acted toward us is kind of how we think about God. It's kind of our default. Like when we think about God, we kind of think about our dads. That's just kind of how it works, um, which could be great. Okay, that could be amazing. Uh, my dad, uh, my dad's super encouraging, very affirming, always verbally encouraging me and my brothers. I remember playing football, and uh, and you know we, I'd be on the field, I'd be doing my thing, and my my dad would be in the stands, and I could hear him from the stands. That's like not easy, you know. Like you're not, it's not basketball where the stands are like here and you're playing here. It's like a long ways away. And so, but my dad didn't care. He wanted me to know that he was there and cheering me on. So that was that was my dad. And so when I think of God, that's kind of my default. That God loves me and he's encouraging to me. So maybe your dad was like that. Maybe your dad was was really affirming. Right, but maybe, um, maybe your dad was really wise, you know? And so when you think of God, you think of him as someone who can give you wisdom and who can help you make important decisions. Uh, maybe your dad was fun, you know? So like he's doing all these crazy stuff with you and, uh, and you couldn't wait to get, for dad to get home and, and spend time with him. Uh, of course, maybe your dad was, was legalistic, all right, so maybe, maybe your dad was, and this, this is not meant to be critical about dads. 
I'm a dad, I have two kids, uh, Henry and Emmy, they're seven and four, and, um, and being a dad is hard, okay? So we all dads need grace, all dad needs the Lord, Lord's help. But sometimes, sometimes dads can err on the side of legalistic, which is like obeying the rules is really important. And if you don't obey the rules, then they're gonna, they're gonna, there'll be severe consequences. Maybe they're not super encouraging. Uh, maybe, maybe some dads are permissive, you know? So it's like, yeah, whatever, rules are meant to be broken. Don't worry about it. And these things affect our, our view of God, kind of how we think about God. Um, maybe your dad was distant, okay? So like you didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with him. He like worked a lot, okay? So if you got, you know, an hour with him, that's, that's like amazing. Uh, so maybe your dad was kind of like far off, or, or maybe your dad was absent. Um, the, uh, I, a statistic I've heard most recently is that about 30% of homes in our country are uh, single parent homes. Um, and the vast majority of those are, are led by mom. Okay, so like absent dads is a thing. So if maybe you didn't have a dad growing up that was there for you, how that affects your view of God will be your question that God is there for you. God will feel distant if he's even there. Um, so how our dads raised us and how they invested in us really has an impact on how we see God. So what I hope to do this morning is, is look at what it means that God is our Abba Father from Scripture. What does, that, what, does, what does God as Father mean according to the Bible? And hopefully help us to connect with him at a deeper level, maybe reconnect with him. And I hope that we can rejoice also because our Heavenly Father is amazing. Uh, so let's pray and then we'll jump into God's word. Uh, Father, I just pray that you'd be with our study this morning. Uh, thank you. The, the, the picture we're about to look at is, is incredible. And uh, so God, I just pray that you would help us to see you for who you truly are in your, in your love and your care of us, uh, and that we can rejoice at the Father that, that we have. In your name, amen. Um, all right, so the first passage that we're gonna look at is Romans chapter uh, eight. When you look up the word Abba, Father, you're actually only gonna find it in three spots, uh, Mark, Romans, and Galatians. Um, and so I was really curious about this, looked into Romans, and Romans gives us a good kind of starting point, general idea for what it means that God is our Abba, Father. Uh, so in Romans, Paul, he's the guy that wrote Romans, um, he's laying out kind of the salvation plan, like here's what God did for us in Christ. And starting in chapter six, he talks about this new life that believers experience. So if, if you're here, if you're a Christian, if you trusted in Jesus as your savior, then God has, has sent his spirit and changed your heart. On the end, like he has changed you into a new person. That's why it's called a new birth. That, uh, that being born again, that's because God remakes us when we trust in him as savior on the inside. So that we're new creatures. And so when Paul's talking about this spirit life, the life of the spirit, because God sends his Holy Spirit to us and it changes the way that we live. He's talking about how we can overcome sin. We can be victorious in the struggles that we have because God's spirit is helping us. God's spirit even leads us. God's spirit tells us, helps us know what to do and how to do it and overcome the things that are in our, our path. So he's talking about the spirit life. And then he says something that's really like a head turning phrase that would just make people be like, whoa, whoa, what'd he say? Um, it might not do that for us because we're really used to this idea, but check it out. It's uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 14. He says, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. 
Now for us, that's a pretty familiar concept. God being our father, being the sons of God, like we've heard that a lot. But back then, that's not really how they thought of God. Back then, God was like, he was like the king. He was our redeemer, our deliverer. He was the mighty God, but he wasn't super personal. He wasn't, they didn't see him as someone who was like their dad caring for them. And so Paul says, look, all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. People are like, whoa, whoa, you, you mean like I'm a son of God? He says, yeah, yeah. And then he goes on to, to keep explaining. In verse 15, he says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Okay, now what's he talking about here? You did not receive the spirit of slavery. Um, Paul talks about uh, slavery a lot when he talks about what life was like for us before we met Jesus. So after, after Jesus, we're changed, we live a new life in God's presence, but before we knew Jesus, our life was characterized by slavery to sin. Okay, and so when he's saying, look, when, when God saved you, you didn't have the spirit of slavery, he's kind of referencing our life before Jesus. And so why would this spirit of slavery lead us in the fear? And if we think about it a little bit, it's not too hard to see why. Um, so a spirit of slavery leads us into fear because sin is a terrible master. If you're enslaved to sin, then sin is your master. And sin does not care for your personal well-being. Okay, like sin, um, sin, sin is out to make us miserable. Sin destroys our life and takes apart all the good things that God is trying to build. And so sin is a terrible master. And that's good reason to fear because sin doesn't care about us. Um, another thing is consequences and judgment. If we're enslaved to sin, we have to do what sin tells us to do then there's gonna be consequences to that. There's always consequences to sin. Sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't. But those consequences can really destroy our lives. And there's also judgment, God's judgment coming on those who are enslaved to sin. So before we knew Jesus, this was all true of us. And the last thing is that there's no one that cares for us. So, um, you know, back, back in their time, slaves had no rights. Slaves lived um, basically at the, at the goodwill of their masters. And they didn't get to choose. You know, they didn't have anybody looking out for them. They didn't have anybody that cared for them. A slave back in Jesus' time, um, if, their life, if their life was okay, then they were thrilled about that. But they didn't have anyone that was looking out for them and helping them. And that's, that's how we were before sin. But Paul says, look, we, that's not where we're at anymore. We didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So this is, this, is, this is the new reality for you. You have been adopted by a father. You're no longer a slave, you're a son. So now you have someone who's looking out for your well-being, someone who cares for you, someone who will sacrifice their life for you. Like that's, that's where we're at. And so we have the spirit of adoption um, as sons and, and by whom we cry out. Abba, Father. So that's our life now. If you know Jesus as your Savior, then God has sent his spirit, brought you into his family, and he is your dad. 
Um, the term Abba is actually an, Amer- an Aramaic term. And Aramaic was spoke, spoken in a lot of the households back then. So if you were in Jesus's house when Jesus was growing up, it's very likely you would have seen him running around saying, Abba, Abba, come look at this. Or Abba, I hurt my toe. Or, you know, he, that was the word that he used to talk to Joseph, to talk to his dad. It was kind of like the household name for dad. Um, and so that is, that's where we're at. If you know Jesus as your savior, God is your dad. Um, and that means safety. That means that you have someone watching out for you, someone who is protecting you. Now, when, it, when, when you're in kids' ministry, safety is a big deal, okay? Safety um, is like one of the essential non-negotiables of kids' ministry is that kids need to be safe. Uh, physically safe, you know, please don't jump off of that high stack of chairs because you're going to break something, you know? So we need to make sure they're physically safe, but also emotional safety. Um, if you have a group of kids in a small group and someone says something and, and that kid gets teased for what they said, then that group automatically becomes an unsafe place for them emotionally and relationally. And so that's something in kids ministry that we really try to protect um, is protecting kids from teasing, protecting kids from um, getting picked on, because that makes it an unsafe environment. We want safe, relational, safe, emotional spaces for kids. Um, as a parent, you also know that, that it's, it's important too. Um, so the issue at, at my house this past week was uh, what would happen if a fire uh, happened in our house, okay? Um, so you know as a parent, um, you're... You're putting the kids to bed, you've sung all the songs, you've prayed, you're you know, putting them down and you're closing that door, right? On your way out, love you, good night. And you hear, dad, I'm scared. Like, no. Because <laughs> as a parent, at that point of the day, you're like done, you know? Like I, I gotta go and relax and you know, read something or watch something or something like that at the end of the day. Uh, well, this week, um, I'm sitting downstairs reading after bedtime and I hear the footsteps on the stairs. So one of my kids is coming down the stairs. Here we go. Um, and, uh, and we started talking about fire. You know, what if a fire happened in our house? What if it happened over here? And I hope this isn't like, I hope this doesn't mean anything, you know? It's like for the future. I, I hope that it, you know, there's not anything coming. Um, but he's like, what, what if a fire happens in this part of the house? What if a fire happens in this part of the house? So I'm like, oh, you know, well, we prioritize getting you guys out. We're not worried about getting any things. Um, eventually, we ended up going outside and looking at the windows we could crawl out of in case we needed to. So we're exploring all possibilities here. Um, and it's five or 10 minutes of that. We wind up back in bed, and, uh, and I just, I, I, I tell the kids, um, guys, you know, every day, uh, something bad could happen to us, every day. Uh, but God holds us in his hands. Okay, and nothing will come into our lives that, that he will not help us through, that he will not protect us, even in the middle of it, he holds us in his hands. You are safe. Um, do you feel that way about your relationship with God? Do you feel like you are safe in the Father's hands and there's nothing in life that can, that can, um, that can throw you off, that can, that can hurt you because you're with the Father? Um, I, that's, that's what God offers us as our dad. And so I'd like to look at three passages that help us kind of clarify what the Father is to us, what our Abba is to us. Uh, and the first one is in Matthew chapter 7. 
Uh, Matthew chapter seven, uh, it shows us that God, our father, provides for us. All right, so Matthew chapter seven, uh, Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about, uh, he used an illustration of parents and how parents don't want to give bad things to their kids. Now, parents, they want to give good gifts to their kids. Uh, I, I went and got some cereal for my kids. I was like, hey, cereal. You know, my kids love cereal, so let's do a cereal morning. Um, so the kids picked the cereal, and, and I was pouring out some cereal into, into Henry's bowl, and, uh, and I saw something that looked a little not right. I don't know. It was, it was Captain Crunch. And there's these little berries, you know? Well, it looked like there was a deformed berry in there, but I really didn't think about it. You know, I don't know, something got stuck in the machine and one of the berries looks weird, you know, no big deal. I should have thought about it, actually. Um, so, so it's poured into its bowl and, uh, and I go back into the kitchen. The kids are eating and I hear, what is that in my cereal? Gah, it's so disgusting. And Henry's like bolting for, the, uh, bolting for the bathroom and he's like washing his mouth out and swallowing and spitting. And that was terrible. And I'm starting to wonder, should I take this kid to the hospital? Like what did this guy just eat from this cereal? Um, so so I, I kind of work him through it and it's okay. And I don't know to this day what it was. I don't know what got stuck in the cereal machine that caused him to you know, have this disgusting taste in his mouth. Uh, but as a parent, you're trying to give good things to your kids, and generally, you succeed. Sometimes you fail. Uh, but Jesus kind of takes that idea, and he works with it in uh, Matthew 7. Um, so he says, uh, okay, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, We'll give him a serpent. Look, you're not going to give your kid a snake if he wants a fish, okay? You're going to give him something that's good. So then he goes on to say, and I love Jesus is very direct sometimes. So this is one of those examples. Um, he says, if, the, if you then who are evil, it's like, okay. <laughs> if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. How much more will your heavenly father who knows exactly what you need give you good things to those who ask him? And so his point in this, Jesus' point in this is at the beginning of this paragraph. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now that's a very encouraging passage. And if that's kind of all we had on prayer in the Bible, it'd be easy to walk away from that thinking, oh, I could ask for whatever I want and I could get whatever I want. That sounds great. Uh, but the Bible qualifies it a little more than that. Um, scripture helps us understand that there are certain things that God loves to give to his, his kids. All right, so just look at this list with me for a second. These are things that we truly need, heart needs that will help us in our lives with the, with the real struggles that we go through. So God gives us wisdom. When we're facing certain decisions, that's something that God loves to give. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it liberally. Um, so God gives wisdom, God gives patience. All parents and children's workers are like, amen. Um, so God gives patience, God gives endurance. So when we're, when we're fighting through something that's difficult, when we're, when we're in a trial that's really hard, God gives endurance to get through that with your, like, like with your sanity. 
Um, God gives us love and kindness. God gives us faith when we're struggling to believe what is true, okay? Because all of us live in that world where we want to believe what's true, but it's hard sometimes. So God gives us faith, humility, help. He gives us vision. Have you ever asked God for vision? Like, God, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what direction I should go here. Help me know where to go. Help me know what vision you want me to pursue. So God loves to give his kids things that, things that will truly help us. Um, and we just have to ask. Okay, we just have to ask. Uh, but sometimes when we ask, uh, God does not answer when we pray. Uh, Paul, the guy who wrote Romans, um, he went through this. Uh, Paul prayed three times, he says, for this thorn, and we're not really sure what it was, to depart from him. And God said no. Now, I don't think Paul was being selfish when he prayed for that. I think he was probably like praying for what he thought was good. But God said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And what God was doing with Paul was he was investing in Paul. He was working on Paul so that he would grow and, and, uh, and be, be equipped to serve God in greater and better ways. Uh, and that's what the Father does to us. That's number two, okay? So God provides for us, our Father provides for us. Also, our Father invests in us, okay? He works on us. Um, I was goofing around with the kids one day. We were just, you know, doing nothing. And so we went to get ice cream, and then we went to Lenape, uh, which is a park in this area. Uh, while there, I, was, I saw some dads practicing baseball with their sons. And, uh, and these kids were about the same age as my kids. And so we were sitting down watching them, and I realized these guys are really good. Like, uh, like we should probably go home and practice baseball right now because yikes, like we're way behind. Um, so, so these kids were throwing really well and hitting really well and catching, moving across the field exactly like they should. And I realized that this dad who's working with his kids, he has a vision for his kids, all right? And his vision was for them to be great baseball players. And his vision, his goal for them was to be great at the sport of baseball and grow up being able to, to be an amazing athlete. And he was disciplining his kids and he was working on his kids so that they could achieve that vision. God has a vision for us too. If you know Christ is your savior, then God, God has a, a goal. He has great things for you to do. He is molding you into a warrior for him. He's helping you to be a missionary for him and he's growing you and he's building you up so that happens. Um, but sometimes that doesn't feel super good. And that brings us to Romans chapter two, or Hebrews chapter 12. Um, so Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about our father who disciplines us. All right, so you can start in verse, um, verse six. It says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That, that, that language might sound like a little uh, grating, but, but the idea is that God is working on us. And sometimes discipline is hard. Sometimes it doesn't feel very good. But God is, is disciplining us because he loves us, because he's growing us to do great things for him. Because he has a vision for what we could be, and he is helping us to grow into that. Um, 
And so he goes on and says, uh, it's, it's for discipline that you have to endure. Now, the writer of Hebrews, he's writing to a people who are really being persecuted and their life was not easy. Um, they, they, they were like, people would break into their houses and steal their stuff and, and they would have to visit Christians in prison because people were being put in prison. So things were not easy for these guys. And so he's kind of talking about this and saying, uh, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then the realism of the Bible comes in again. And I love the Bible because it's so realistic. It wasn't written by guys in you know, ivory towers. Uh, the Bible was written by boots on the ground people that like, understood the difficulties of life. Um, so he says this about dads. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Okay? They said, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. And it seems like kind of what he's saying is, look, our dads did the best they could, okay? Like, it, 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 being a dad, it's, it's not always super clear cut. Sometimes as a parent, you have more questions after you have kids than before you have kids because certain situations come up where you're just not sure how to help your kids through this or that thing. Now, the Bible gives us lots of wisdom but as dads, we're doing the best we can. But God, okay, but God, look, he continues on. Um, let's see, verse, yeah, verse 10. Uh, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. See, God disciplines us with pinpoint accuracy. He knows what he is doing in our life. And even if we can't see it, he has a good plan for us. And so what does that mean for us? It means that we need to yield to the work that he is doing in us. Okay, that's, we need to yield as Christians to the work that God is doing in us. And I think there's three things that are helpful uh, with this. Uh, one thing is, it's, there's a pressure point, okay? There's a pressure point that, is in your life somewhere right now. What is it? What's the hard thing that keeps you up at night? Or what's the thing that is really frustrating to you? Or what's the relationship that is driving you insane? Okay, what is, what is it? Because that might be a pressure point that God is pinpointing for you as an area that needs change. Okay, so once you find that pressure point, then you need to find your anchor verses. Now, Pastor Chris talks about anchor verses, and I love it. Because what he says is, when, when you're going through something hard, when you're working through something, you need a verse that's going to be your anchor, that you can cling to, and that's going to help you through that hard thing. And so, whatever that pressure point is, whether it's bitterness, or impatience, or laziness, or anger, or whatever it is, find verses that can help you with that. Find verses that talk about that. And then, hang on to those things. And by God's grace, follow Jesus. Okay, so you find that pressure point and you, and you like figure out what it is that you can have as an anchor verse for that and then you follow Christ. Um, training is not easy, okay? Uh, when, I, when I played football, I was a running back. And uh, so we'd do certain drills that were designed so that we would not drop the football. The worst thing you can do maybe except for like running the other direction, is, is, to, drop, no, is to drop, the to fumble the football. And so they taught us how to hold it. And there were two things that I remember. Um, they said high and tight 
and the ego claw. Those are the two things. High and tight, ten, your tendency when you're carrying a football is to put it down here. But what they told us was you actually want to carry it up here because it makes it a lot harder to get at. Like, if they can get at this point, if they can get at this point, then, then you got a fumble coming. But if you're holding it high and tight, then it's gonna be really hard for them to get in there and, and strip the ball out. They can hit it, whack it, try to pull at it, but it's stuck there. Um, the other thing was the eagle claw. Basically, a claw, and then you put it on the end of the football. It's not super, you know, it's not like brain, uh, not a rocket science. Um, so, you, so you hold it, hold the tip with your hand, and you have it high and tight, and then we'd run through gauntlets, right? So there's like two lines of guys, and they were trying to strip the ball, they were trying to hit it, they were trying to pull it out, and we'd have to hang on to it through the gauntlet. They also helped us practice like uh, flipping it from side to side, because no matter, like, depending on the side of the field you were on, you wanted the ball to be toward the outside, and so we practiced that too. And if it looks awkward, it's because it's been a long time, okay, since I've done this. So, so that was, that was kind of what they, what they taught us to do. They drilled us on it so that it would become second nature, but if we disregarded that and started holding the ball like this, trying to be all fancy, then, then if we didn't yield to their training, then a fumble was coming, it was inevitable. If we don't yield to God's training in our life, then we miss out on the great things that he has for us, on the great work that he has for us to do and the deepening relationship we can have for him. So our father is work, he's investing in us to grow us, okay? So God, God is our father, he provides for us, he invests in us. Um, but <laughs> the thing about discipline is that failure happens. Um, there's no one in here, and pastors included, who have not failed in their walk with Jesus repeatedly. Um, there are temptations and struggles that get all of us. Um, things that, that we fail repeatedly, and it can be very discouraging. Okay, so even, even as God is building us, it's easy to get discouraged and filled with guilt because of the difficulty of our of our. Um, walk with the Lord sometimes. Um, and so that's where this last part of God comes to the rescue. This last uh, characteristic of God is our Father. Um, God, our Father, loves us. Um, maybe the most well-known passage in the Bible, uh, parable in the Bible, is the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, though some people want to rename it to be the father and his two sons, because that, that kind of gets the whole parable better. Um, this, this passage helps us understand how, um, how wonderful uh, God is as our Father. Um, it's in Luke chapter 15, um, if you want to turn or uh, tap there. Uh, Luke chapter 15. And what's happening in this passage is Jesus is talking with people of ill repute. Okay, people that other people despise, tax collectors and sinners. You know, people that the religious leaders don't want to talk to them. These are people that have rejected God, but they're coming to Jesus because he will talk to them and because he cares about them. And they're talking to him about God. In the meantime, the religious leaders are looking at this like, look at that guy, hanging out with that rabble of people. And so they're criticizing Jesus for talking to these people. And so Jesus tells them a story about how God looks at people that are, are searching for him and want to, want to come to him. Uh, and so he jumps right into it in uh, chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And then not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. As I was looking into this a little bit, there's a lot of uh, really offensive and disrespectful things going on here. But just put yourself in the dad's shoes, okay? The son is like, hey, I, you know, love you, dad, but I don't want to be with you. I want your stuff. And so his dad has to sell his, his property, his belongings, and give them to his son. Um, so, you know, he had one car. Well, he's, or he had two cars. He's going to have to sell one, and now he has one car. He has, a, he has a $400 house. Now he has to sell that and get a $200 house. So you start to, like, understand that this dad is in, this is not a good thing for him, okay? But his son wants to get out of there. And so not only does he take his dad's stuff, but he also leaves. So in the Old Testament, the command, honor your father and mother, was very important. It was so important that if you um, uh, broke that command, that you could be stoned, you could, you could be killed in punishment. So like, this was a big deal. And leaving his family, back then, that was not good. For us, it's like, I'm a, so I'm from Wisconsin. Um, I, uh, it, <laughs> you can already figure that out by the way I say Wisconsin. Um, so, so we moved over here, and that's very common in our day and age, like for, for people to move different places. But back then, if you abandoned your family like that, that was not okay. So this kid heads out to a faraway country, and to add insult to injury, um, in verse... In verse 13, he gathered all he has, he took a journey to a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living, okay? So he wastes all of the money. He's not investing, okay? He's just wasting it on stuff that has no value. Uh, So he squanders all of his property, and then when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Okay, now, we like pigs. I like pigs. I like bacon and ham. That's a great thing, okay? But back then, for a Jew, that was like the worst thing that you could end up doing because pigs were unclean. If you worked with pigs, you could never go into the temple because your seven days of ceremonial separation from what was unclean would be constantly reset. And then you, 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 would, you, were, so you basically couldn't go and have fellowship with God. And so working with pigs was like the last thing that any self-respecting Jew would want to do. And this you know, punk of a kid ends up cleaning and working with these pigs. And it's not working out for him. Okay? says, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Okay, there's a lot of hopelessness in this situation. He is, he is at the end of this rope, and, and there's nothing that he can do, and then he comes to his senses, all right? But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, and I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So we were talking a little bit ago about 
um, the difference between being a slave of sin and being a child of God. Um, this, this kid is saying, look, I don't deserve to be your son under your protection, under your care. Make me one of your hired servants. Um, so he begins to come back to his father. He rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. This would be a twist, I think, in Jesus' story. Probably what they were expecting to hear is that his dad was going to tell him all the things he should have done differently. Yes, you deserve to be a hired servant. I disown you. That's probably what they expected. They didn't expect the father to be filled with compassion. And so the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. Uh, we, growing up, the little church that I uh, grew up in, we did a passion play, which was basically a portrayal of Jesus's last week of life. So we like started at the Last Supper and everyone, like almost everyone in the church had their role and, uh, and we put on this passion play for our community. So we did the Last Supper and Gethsemane, we did the cross and the resurrection and, uh, and we were in this thing from when we were this tall, okay? So when I was like two years old, I'm sitting warming my hands by a fire. And then as you grow, you know, we were kids and teens, and we had these robes that we would wear. And, uh, and you know, kids, teens, they like to run around. They like to do fun stuff. Um, but we'd have to keep our costumes on. And so you'd eventually end up running like, uh, like this, because the, the robe would not let you take a stride. It was limiting, you know? And so we had to lift up. We had to lift up the, the robe, and then we could actually run around and get some stuff done. Um, that's, that's how it was for them. Like, if they really wanted to run, okay, then they would have to pull up their robe and go. The thing is, for an older man, for a father to pull up his robe, expose his legs and run was a very undignified thing. It was very something that would bring disrespect on you. Like that's not something that they did. But you see the extent of this dad's love when he just, he throws aside dignity. He does not care. Okay, it reminds me of my dad standing in the stands and yelling at me on the football field. It's like the people around him, I don't know, they probably didn't love that. My dad was like yelling at me at the top of his lungs. Uh, but he didn't care because his son was on the field and he wanted to encourage him. So this dad, he sees his son who had done him wrong, okay, and he doesn't care. He pulls up the robe, he runs to his son, he embraces him, he kissed him, he doesn't even let him get through his apology, okay. He, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, this would be a great spot to just end the story. Jesus has proven his point. The father is God and God loves it when people come to him, come back to him who have, who have sinned terribly, okay? But he goes on and talks about the older son. He says, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, 
But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. And the word serve there, um, you could also translate it, I have slaved for you. It's like he felt like he was a slave. Like I've been slaving away for you for all of these years. And he keeps going. Oh, this is a rant. Um, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. So how do you think the dad's going to respond to this? Do you think the dad could be angry or judgmental or condemning? Listen to what he says. And he said to him, son. I love what one guy said about this passage. He said the one son was coming back and he felt like he should be his dad's servant. And the other son felt like he was a servant who had been slaving away for his dad for years. And the father comes to both of them and says, you're my sons. He continues and says, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. I love that Jesus includes both of these brothers because no matter what your problem is, and we all have problems, including everybody on this stage, we all have sins that, that are struggles. No matter what it is, I don't care how far you've gone, God loves you and he will accept you back into his arms. He wants you to come back to him. So how do we respond to this? We rejoice, all right? We rejoice and thank God that he is our loving father who we can always depend on. So we rejoice and not only that, but we also reach out. Jesus's point in this is that, look, God feels this way and you should feel this way too. Like, you should be happy when people come back to God. And so he doesn't only want us to to be just thankful that God is this way, but he also wants us to invite other people into the family of God and rejoice when they come. We have a lot to rejoice about when we think about our heavenly father. Our heavenly father provides for us. So we can ask We can ask him for what we need. Our heavenly Abba invests in us. So we yield to the work that he is doing in our hearts. And then our Abba loves us so we can rejoice in that and we can reach out to others. Um, I kind of wonder if Paul ever struggled to believe that God loved him. Um, Because life is hard. And sometimes things happen that just really make you question. Um, but at the end of Romans 8, that passage we started with before, in verse 31, Paul, Paul, he's finished his talking about how good God is to us. And at the end of the chapter, he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Um, Recently, I had to go to the dentist with one of my kids. Um, And that is just, 
Nah, that's just the worst. It's just the worst. Um, so it, he had to have something done on his teeth. And, uh, and so the dentist is drilling in and, and, you know, in between crying, we drill some more, we cry and drill some more. And, and I, 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 at this point as a dad, I'm feeling like I would give anything to sit in that seat for him and take it for him. I would just, that's what I want to do. It's hard to see your kids suffer, but we have to understand what our father did for us. He did not spare his own son, but he sent Jesus to take away our sin. You know, Pastor Doug, he mentioned in his prayer that, that God, he could not even look on Christ when Jesus was taking the punishment for our sin. He could not look on that sin that he was taking. I can't imagine what that was like for our father to do that for us. But that's the kind of dad that we have. Okay, and I hope, I hope that any, any vision of, of a judgmental and, and, and uh, 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 legalistic father as our God can be put out of your minds and that you realize how much God loves you and, and that he, he who didn't give his, he didn't spare his own son, how shall he not also with him graciously give us all things. We have a lot to rejoice about. And I hope that, that this has helped you to, to rejoice in your father and be able to connect with him too. Let's, let's pray together. Uh, God, thank you so much for the father that you are to us. Um, we don't deserve your kindness and your goodness and your, and your graciousness to us. Um, but you have welcomed us into our family and we are now safe in your hands. And you are investing in us for our good. So God, help us to rejoice. Help us to walk through life with you. Help us to yield. Help us to ask um, so that we can have the the deep and and life-giving, meaningful relationship with our heavenly father that we were built for, that we were made for. Uh, God, thank you for your word that guides us into these things and, and making them true in our hearts with your spirit. In your name, amen.